Amen. You may be seated. Turning your Bibles this morning to the book of Isaiah and chapter 40. Isaiah 40. We'll be reading select verses as printed there in your bulletin, 1 and 2, 10 through 12, and then 21 through 31. Let's give our attention now to the Word of God. Isaiah 40, verses 1 and 2. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then verse 10 through 12, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclose the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Dropping down to verse 21. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither. And the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of all the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power. To the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The grass withers, 
flower fades, but the word of our God will endure forever. Let's pray together. Our God, we confess that even on our best days, we struggle to grasp the wonder, the majesty, and the beauty of the everlasting God. We thank you for this passage that speaks so clearly, so loudly of your glory. And Lord, we pray for each and every one struggling this morning that you would draw near and that you would help us to, to look to you, to wait upon you and there to renew our strength. Yea, to mount up with wings like eagles that we might live and glorify you. Lord, bless your word this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you will be familiar with the opening chapters of the book of Revelation. And you know that in those early chapters of Revelation, we find the resurrected Christ speaking and giving wise and loving, yet very pointed counsel to the churches of the first century. Now, these churches throughout Asia Minor had a variety of problems. There were doctrinal errors. There was severe persecution and affliction and trial. They had allowed pride to sneak in the door, as it were, and they were often tolerating a number of different sins. But one of the most notable letters is the very first one to the church of Ephesus. And if you know those opening lines of of chapter 2, the Lord delineates a number of good things. He said, "These, these are good. These are evidences of the work of the Spirit of God in you and glorify God. Yet, I have this one thing against you. You have left your first love. They had allowed their hearts to grow cold. They did not have the passion and the fervor and the devotion that they once had for Christ. And what's interesting is that our Savior's counsel to them of how to fix this, of how to solve this problem, is relatively simple. As a matter of fact, it's often summarized as the three R's. We're familiar with reading, writing, and arithmetic. But they were called to remember. Remember where you have been. Remember what you've been taught. Repent and renew. Do the first works. Go back to the basics That was our Savior's counsel to his church then. 800 years before that, the situation in Isaiah 40 was very similar. The people of God, his chosen people, the nation of Israel, had become cold in their relationship with the Lord. 
Their, their minds were full of questions and doubts, and they, they questioned whether God was even willing to help them. They had forgotten the truths that they had been taught from generations prior, and now they were facing judgment unless they make some serious changes and do so quickly. And God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, gives them this counsel. Remember. Remember what you've been taught. Repent and renew. Find that spiritual renewal. Perhaps you're here this morning and these words strike a chord. And you need to be renewed. Well, God speaks of this work of grace in their hearts and in ours. Our particular situation may not be exactly like the church of Ephesus in the first century. It might not be like the nation of Israel in the 8th century B.C. But my friends, I expect Every one of us knows something of what it is to need renewal spiritually, to have our love, our first love, become first again, and to know that that strength and work of grace to, to restore our fervor and our confidence and our joy in the things of God. Well, Isaiah 40 is ageless wisdom. In three particulars, he draws the attention of the nation of Israel. Number one, remember where the problem is. Number two, remember who God is. And number three, remember what the solution is. Not hard to follow, and it's right there in our text. Number one, remember where the problem is. And the people knew there was a problem. They knew that trouble was coming. If you look back to chapter 39, Isaiah 39, verses 5 and 6, Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house... And what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. They knew that hard times were coming. The Israelites were getting ready to enter into a period of persecution and affliction and hardship unlike anything they had experienced since the day they left Egypt. What was going to happen when the Babylonians came into Jerusalem would have gone infinitely beyond their worst possible expectations. But listen, difficult circumstances were not the problem. They knew there was a problem. It's kind of like I can't remember which 
space flight it was, but when the, the fuel tank blew up and two-thirds of their power was lost and the radio uh, comes on and they says, Houston, we have a problem. There was a problem in Israel, but it was not what they thought it was. They were at first thinking it's the circumstances, these difficult, hard times that are coming. But my friends, God's people have always had difficult circumstances. Always. Pharaoh afflicted the children of Israel in Egypt. Saul persecuted David relentlessly, constantly seeking his life. Jezebel swore that she, before nightfall, would put Elijah to death. And the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, all, that means all of you who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This world hates God. It is against God, and it's against God's people. And at every opportunity, they will manifest that persecution and hatred. But that's not the problem. Secondly, the people of Israel wanted to blame their circumstances on God. The hardships that they were facing, they felt, were God's fault. The problem was that God wasn't listening to them. Look at verse 27 of our text. Verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God? They were saying, the problem here is God. God doesn't listen to my prayers. God is not even there to help me when I need help in the midst of my affliction. Have you ever been there? You know what that feels like? To pray and pray and pray and it seems like nothing happens. To think that... I know God is there. I believe he exists, but he's not willing to help me. He's not willing to strengthen me. And sometimes we're tempted to believe that if God really loved me, he would not allow this affliction to come. And yet we are told, as we heard recently from Romans 8, 28, that God works all things For our good. The people of Israel were struggling. They didn't like the circumstances, but they blamed those circumstances upon God. Now, listen, ladies and gentlemen, young people, listen closely. We, like the nation of Israel, need to remember where the problem is. The problem is not the circumstances. The problem is not that God is not listening. The problem is with us. You realize that? 
you're facing hardship, you're facing difficulty, if, if you're fainting, if you're weary, if you're ready to give up, you feel like you can't go on, the problem is not God. The problem is us. The problem is the way we think. The problem is the way we go about trying to fix the problem. Specifically, we need to remember what we've been taught by the Word of God, by the preaching of the Word about who God is. We need to remember how God says to restore and to renew your strength. And those, of course, are our next two main points. Secondly, we need to remember who God is. In the late 1400s and early 1500s, the church was in dark, difficult times. Most of the people were ignorant of the truths of Scripture. The Roman church was no longer teaching and preaching the Bible, but extra-biblical and even anti-biblical things. Many of the church leaders were corrupt and immoral. My friends, the gospel was not being preached. Can you even fathom that? Every Lord's Day, we hear the simple gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed from this pulpit. Mostly morning and evening, every Lord's Day. But in their day, they did not hear that. And God was pleased in the midst of that darkness to raise up a man by the name of Martin Luther. Who began to preach justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, to the glory of God alone. He was directing the people to the truth of God's word. But listen, Luther, as you would expect, faced some serious opposition. And one of his opponents was a man by the name of Erasmus. Erasmus was a humanist, He believed in rational thinking only. He believed in free will and that man must contribute good works to accomplish salvation. Well, obviously, he was at odds with Luther and they corresponded significantly back and forth in the form of letters. And on one occasion, Luther tells Erasmus, your problem is Your thoughts of God are too small. Because for Erasmus, everything had to be reasonable, had to make sense. And Luther's insistence was, we're dealing with the almighty God. And your thoughts of God are too small. Well, you realize at the nation of Israel, their thoughts of God were small. Look at what he says in verse 18. God says to the people, to whom then will you liken me? What likeness will you compare to him? 
And then he describes their their process of making idols. This is the way Israel was thinking. God is just a lifeless statue. Maybe we can can take an image and overlay it with gold and silver and make it beautiful, and that's our God. This is the exact same thing that happened in the wilderness under Moses when Moses was on the mountain, the people came down and, and Aaron had made the golden calf and he set it before the people and he says, Here is your God who brought you out of Egypt. He did exactly what God was telling Moses at the moment should not be done. You don't make images of the living God. Israel's thoughts were small. They thought of him as a gold or a silver image or even a piece of wood that was carefully carved. And God said, your thoughts are too small. Now, throughout this chapter, from this point on, God goes out of his way, really going back to the beginning and all the way to the end. God goes out of his way to emphasize this thing for Israel. Remember who God is. And there are two themes that stand out. Number one is that our God is a God of compassion. And number two is our God is a God of power. Let's look at the first. God is a God of compassion. Did you notice as we read through these verses how much God expresses a desire to bless, to help? Verse 1, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. Verse 5, the glory of the Lord is going to be revealed. I am going to show you my glory. Verse 8, the word of the Lord that I give to you endures forever. Verses 10 through 12, the Lord God will come. And what will he do? He will rule over you. He will feed you like a shepherd feeds his flock. He will even carry you in his arms. A shepherd tenderly caring, comforting, providing, protecting. Our God is a God of compassion. Remember that. When you're struggling, when you feel like God has abandoned you, that tremendous book that Sinclair Ferguson wrote, when he he entitled it, When the Darkness Will Not Lift. Sometimes we fall into those periods of darkness. Remember, remember the truths of Scripture, of who God is. He's a God of compassion. But then God just pours out a ton of of vivid, striking phrases to describe that he is a God of might and a God of power incomprehensibly so. Many of you will know question number four of the Shorter Catechism. What is God? 
And at the very outset, the framers of those questions and answers penned it this way. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, in all of his attributes, our God is infinite. How can we creatures of, of dust comprehend Something that's infinite. That's who God is. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's not like us. We say one thing one day and we change our our view the next. God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But here in, in Isaiah 40, God highlights a number of things about himself that are rather impressive characteristics. One of my favorite is verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. In other words, that that little small cup in the center of your hand. Now for biblical writers, the waters would have predominantly been the Mediterranean Sea. But add to that, Add to the Mediterranean Sea, the other seas. Think of the Atlantic Ocean. Think of the Pacific Ocean, the Indian, the Arctic. Put them all together. And you want to know how great God is? He can measure all of that water in the hollow of his hand. That's our God. God measures the waters in the hollow of of his hand. Look at verse 15. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket. So let's take a gallon bucket. It's a pretty common tool around the house. And, and take an eyedropper and squeeze one drop, just one drop, into that bucket. Would you even be able to see it or notice it. What does God say? All the nations, the Chaldeans that are getting ready to come and wipe you clean, just a drop in the bucket. When we think about Russia and their military might invading Ukraine, we think about China, we think about North Korea, We are all concerned, perhaps at least a little bit, about the nuclear option. But you know what, my friends? All of those nations put together to God are just like one drop in the bucket. And then look at what he says in verses 21 and following. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the foundations of the earth from the beginning? And what's the first thing he says? God is the one who sits on the circle of the earth and all the inhabitants of it are like grasshoppers. And then another favorite. It is he who sits on the circle of the earth and who stretches out the heavens 
like a tent to dwell in. Think of the Milky Way galaxy and how vast, how unspeakably majestic. All those stars, all the heavenly bodies. And you know what? Have you ever, kids, have you ever set a tent up in your backyard? Have you ever gone into that tent and said, oh, wow, I can't believe how great this is. It might be fun, but it's not exactly overwhelming. God spreads out the heavens like a tent. To him, it's like a a backyard pup tent. It's nothing. That's who our God is. Now, my friends, this is this remedy of thinking high thoughts of God is a remedy that is employed on numerous occasions. We don't have time to turn there, but remember what happens with Job. As Job enters into this unspeakably difficult time in his life when he's afflicted physically and emotionally and spiritually challenged, and Job begins to criticize God for his actions. And then in verse, or chapter 38 and following, God begins to speak. And he says, Job, let me ask you a few questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Have you been able to enter into the depths of the sea? Do you know what's down there? Job, where were you when I hung the world on nothing? God just uses question after question after question to show Job, I am the almighty God. And your thoughts of me have become way too small. The same way God speaks to Abraham and he promises a a 90-year-old woman she's going to have a baby in a year. Have you known any 90-year-old women that had a baby? I don't think that's something that commonly happens. But what is God saying to Abraham? He says, Abraham, I am Jehovah El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Is anything too difficult for me? That's the way we need to be thinking. Brethren, listen. When you find yourself in the midst of impossible, heartbreaking circumstances, maybe you're in those circumstances right now. When you find yourself weak and helpless ready to faint, ready to give up. You think you cannot go on. When you find yourself surrounded by hostile enemies of God and of God's people, remember who God is. He is a God of compassion who wants to comfort, who wants to bless, who wants to reveal his glory, who 
gives his word that endures forever, who will carry us like a lamb in his arms if need be. Our God is not a lifeless idol. He's not one who cannot hear our prayers. He's not one who's weak and helpless like we are. He is the mighty God of Jacob. And he is our refuge and our strength. Remember who God is. Remember where the problem is. It's not with God. It's not the circumstances. It's in here. Remember who God is. He's not a man. He's not a creature. He's not a helpless, lifeless idol. He's the living God. And he is a God of glory and power. Those are the first two steps. But let's look lastly at remembering what the solution is. I don't know about you, but most of the time when I face some really, really difficult problem... I tend to think of the solution is going to be really, really difficult to obtain. So maybe we have a serious health crisis. And usually what happens is that's going to demand a very expensive operation. How can I handle that? Maybe you know what it's like to have gone through some serious financial problem, serious financial disaster. Well, what's the solution? I've got to have a lot of money. How am I going to do that? The difference is that in the spiritual arena, that pattern is not usually what we see. So here, Israel had pretty serious problems. They were discouraged, they were self-deceived, they were weak and helpless, they were without hope, they felt like God had given up on them. But you know what? The solution was very simple. What we see here is God tells them, he spells it out for them in verse 31. Here's the problem. Now, here's the solution. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. The problem and the solution was very simple. Think about this imagery that God chooses of all the possible things that he could have picked to illustrate his grace, his goodness, his power. He uses the example of the wings of an eagle. Perhaps you've seen them. I know I've mentioned this before. I don't know how long ago it was, but... On a trip to Colorado and Wyoming, we were driving along, and my friend says, I, I bet there's a, a lake up there on top of that mountain. And I was like, you don't put lakes on top of mountains. But we got out, and we hiked up the side of the mountain, and there was this crystal clear water. You could see 25, 30 feet deep easily. 
And I sat down on that edge of that lake and just sat there just awed by the majesty of God's creation. And then this eagle comes down and begins to glide along the surface of the water. And he went from one end of the lake to the other. And at least it appeared he didn't move a feather. He just slid across the top of that water from one end to the other. It was majestic. I like watching birds. We have a bird feeder outside of our bedroom window and we often sit there and drink coffee every morning and watch the goldfinches come and the cardinals come and chickadees and a number of other birds. Every now and then you might see a pair of hawks circling above the house. But my friends, nothing, nothing can equal the majesty of a soaring eagle. It is the most glorious of all birds, high above, effortlessly gliding and soaring. And God is telling the nation of Israel, look at that eagle. Watch that eagle. Do you see him? In total control, strength, glory, majesty, I will do that for you if you will wait on me if you will wait on the Lord. It's not especially difficult. Why do we have such a hard time doing it? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? Well, the scripture ties this waiting on the Lord to at least four things. Let me highlight them briefly. Number one, to wait on God means to be still before God. In other words, when you're waiting for someone who's supposed to meet you at a certain time and they're 15 minutes late, you begin to get anxious, frustrated, perhaps even angry. Where are they? Why aren't they here? They didn't text me to tell me they can't make it. That's not what this is. This waiting is a calm, quiet stillness before God. It's coming before God and waiting on Him. Listen to the words of Lamentations 3. Most of us know that the Lord's mercies, by the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. But listen to verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly before the Lord. When we wait on the Lord, we come quietly in stillness, like the psalmist in 46, or Psalm 46, when he says, Be still and know that I am God. That's what we're doing. Or as David says in Psalm 131, I will wait upon the Lord like a weaned child. You know what a weaned child does? A 
upon his mother's breast. He just lies there. He's calm. He's quiet. He's happy. And that's what waiting on the Lord is meant to be. Secondly, waiting on God means listening to God's instructions. And particularly what he joins together with this practice of waiting. It means using the means Scripture provides and prescribes. Specifically, prayer, the Word, and worship. Micah 7 and verse 7, he says, I will wait upon the Lord and he will hear me. That's prayer. When we wait, we come quietly, calmly before God and we pray to him. Psalm 130, you may be familiar with where the psalmist says, I will wait upon the Lord in your word, I will hope. So with that quiet, calm waiting is the word of God because it's the word, brothers and sisters, that teaches us how to think, how to act what pleases God, and what doesn't. And then there's one in Proverbs 8.34 that I find striking. When the writer says, Blessed is he who waits at the doors of my house. That's worship. The one who enters into public worship, the doors of God's house, All of these things combined, waiting means listening to God's instructions. Thirdly, waiting on God is a daily exercise that fixes our eyes on the Lord. I think this is the the Old Testament counterpart to Colossians 3, verses 2 and following, where Paul says, if you are risen with Christ... Seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. Brothers and sisters, that takes effort. We're so wrapped up in the things of this world. And we are to set our minds, fix our eyes upon the living God to expect him to work, to look to him in faith and believe that he will answer. Psalm 121 or 123, the psalmist says, as the eyes of the servant look to the hand of his master and as the eyes of the maid look to the hands of her mistress, so our eyes will look to the Lord our God. Until he have mercy on us. Do you need mercy? Do you need God's help? Look to him. Fix your eyes in this waiting upon the Lord. Fix your eyes upon him. Whatever your particular need may be. Maybe you're very keenly aware of your sin and you need forgiveness. Maybe you're keenly aware of your weakness and you need strength. Maybe you need, whether large or small, whatever it may be, wait on the Lord. Watch, set your gaze upon him. 
More than the watchmen wait for the morning, says David. We wait upon the Lord. And then lastly, number four, waiting on God comes with its own built-in encouragement. Listen to the way Isaiah puts it just a few chapters later in Isaiah 64 and verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God beside you who acts for the one who waits for him. I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like I would rather do anything else, travel a great distance, spend a great deal of money, expend tremendous amounts of energy, just, Lord, help me to do something Do you know what the Lord says? The place you'll renew your strength like the wings of an eagle is by waiting. And the eye has never seen since the beginning of time. The ear has never heard. The mind has never conceived this God who works on behalf of him who waits for him. My friends, what do you long for this morning? Would you not like to mount up with the wings of an eagle to soar in your love for Christ, to soar in your strength against temptation, to soar in your kindness and, and mercy towards your brothers and sisters in the Lord. You want to mount up with wings like an eagle? Wait on the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you speak clearly about what the problem is. You speak clearly about who you are. And you speak clearly of how we can renew our strength right now, today. Oh, Lord, would you grant us grace to receive your word. May it fall like seed on good ground and bring forth much fruit to your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.